Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with FasterSkier.com. This week, we've got an awesome set of races from Davos, Switzerland to recap, and we're delighted to have special guest Oystein Pedersen, a Norwegian Olympic champion, join us on the show. Give us a minute. We'll be right back. Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium Skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. We got one pro, which is Osten, because he he runs like an actual, yeah, like a real podcast. Oh, Not shit, to... really? Maybe oh, yeah. he can teach us how to do it. Yeah, well, he's, he's just got like a lot of good gear and producers and like people listening to his podcast and stuff. So we're, we, got, we got some things to learn. <laughs> yeah, no worries. We, we, we run a different product over here, I stand. Thanks for joining us. We, we, we have listeners in the dozens, maybe. That's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah, exactly. You know what, Devin? If, if, people, that it's perfect. If you have Infantino, maybe you have uh, some guys from the IOC, then I think that's good. Yeah. Well, we're hoping to get Messi on next week. Um, what he did today was pretty legendary. So we, we, think, it's, we think it's looking good. Uh, maybe for the tour, actually. Maybe for the tour. He yeah, can yeah, he yeah. can break down the tour with us. He's a huge ski fan. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think he's right now. Right now, he's heading to Devils, right? Yeah, just, I think so. Yeah, just. I think he's. I think he's. Uh, I think he's on his way to Val Moster for uh, just to, <laughs> yeah. to, to prep. Yeah, for sure. Unwind <laughs> a little bit. Unwind. Like it's going to be crazy for him. He's just got like 14 kilos of mate. Then taking the next plane up to to Moster to do some do some altitude training before PSG starts up again. Yeah, 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 but, yeah, and they probably made the Argent the team of Argentina as well. I think it's, I think it's pretty easy to qualify actually for the tour. Yeah, 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 for sure, it's true. Yeah, the, the, I mean the blue squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you uh, once you win the World Cup of soccer, there's nothing to do but to go try the World Cup of skiing, right? Exactly. <laughs> we could the- use the depth. We could use the depth, especially in distance racing. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, should we? Um, who knows how this will we'll edit this down, but we'll, um, maybe I'll let Nat. Uh, maybe I'll let Nat introduce our guest because it's a we got a banger today for for those that have been waiting for a Christmas special. This is this is essentially as Christmas specially as we got. So, Nat, you want to tee it up, please? Yeah, I can. I can actually. I can do a number on this one because I don't know if. Uh... If this is a familiar object uh, to our uh, to our guest here, but this this is a uh, this is Where a did you steal that one? this is a Skigo Pulsa Thermo Edition glove that uh, our guest today, Oystein Pedersen, gave me in a hotel room at the at the uh, Quebec City World Cup uh, when I was it was like my early days as a reporter for Faster Skier. As you can see, these gloves have a hole worn all the way through the. Uh, <laughs> We're not all the way through the palm because honestly, like I was like, you know, this was like Oystein Pedersen is a is a fucking legend, dude is a you know Olympic gold medalist. 
And uh, he, he gives me a pair of these gloves. Like, and I'm a guy, like, I will not accept a, a cup of coffee from anyone, like very strict ethics, but like Olympic champion, Oystein Pedersen gives you a pair of his gloves. So yeah, to, to introduce our guest, uh, this is Oystein Pedersen, a, a long time uh, Norwegian sprint legend, uh, has won any number of world cups, was known, I think, on the world cup for antics, I think would be like a fair, fair word. And uh, I don't actually know. I mean, it looks like now he's transitioned uh, into being like a multimedia mogul, but uh, maybe he can tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> but uh, delighted to have him on the podcast this week to uh, to break down some, you know, one of my favorite uh, sprint races of, of the year, honestly, uh, just the, the venue. Yeah, it's weird. Like we shit talk two lap sprint courses all the time, but Davos always seems to be like a banger. So um, I don't know if there's anything you would add, add Devin, as far as like, you know, maybe you're more aware of, uh, of Oystein's profile in, in Norway, but yeah, I mean, the, the guy is a, the guy is a straight legend and it's an honor and privilege to uh, have him join us today. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to add a whole lot more. I mean, Oystein, yeah. I mean, what can you say? He, he's not just, he was, he was a hell of a skier. Antics are a good description. He, he may or may not have ran naked in Dusseldorf, which is a pretty legendary performance. Uh, he, he made a bet with the sprint team that if, if he landed on the podium, he, he'd run naked through the streets or like, because Dusseldorf is a city sprint or it was, it's not on the calendar anymore. Uh, so he may or may not have done that. Now. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Like he's for the American listeners. Ostein is essentially the Tony Robbins of Norway. Now he's, he's like, writes books, motivational speaker. He's everywhere. He's been really, really successful with it. He's written, written two books, which is fantastic. He has a brand new one out now. So we can, we can get into that and ask him a bit about that project and, and how that transition's been. But, but since this is a heat bag production over here, we, we have Oysten, instead of just like having a great in-depth interview for like an hour and a half or two hours about like everything that's going on, we got Oysten here to just break down the Davos World Cups with us, and we really appreciate it. Uh, I, 40 years, 40 years old. Because I, I, I feel like uh, I'm blushing. This is a, this is a podcast, but still, <laughs> I think the, the people or the the dozens of listeners will hear me blushing. So it's uh, it's way too much, and uh, uh, I'm uh, I, I'm not half the skier that Devin was, but uh, I think I was uh, as uh, happy as Devin all the time, and uh, I love I. I loved skiing and I still love skiing. So skiing is, I would not say it's my life, but I'm really passionate about skiing, cross-country skiing. And uh, yeah, I try to be, uh, yeah, I, I try to be passionate about everything I do. I'm, I, I would not go as far as say I'm, I'm the Tony Robbins of uh, Norway, but um, yeah, I'm pretty passionate about what I do today as well. Fortunately, uh, fortunately, Devin is muted and I can say that you, you, <laughs> you don't, you don't, it's not a prerequisite to be half the skier that Devin was to uh, appear on this podcast, uh, case in point. So, um, yeah, should we, um, should we get into it? This was a pretty, uh, this was honestly like, it was a great weekend of racing. I thought. Yeah, you did. No, I agree. It was, it was a great weekend of racing and we're going to start, like, we're going to kind of build up to some crescendos and then we're going to crash back down and down to earth. So, but the building phase, we're going to start low. And while the sprint itself, the final, especially was, was a, was a great event. And there was a lot of excitement, the women's sprint, this is a problem. And, and the, the reason being we had 39 women on the, on the start field of the sprint race. 
which is horrendously low turnout, especially for Davos. Like Davos is a, is a venue that a lot of teams usually love to go to. It's got a Christmas vibe. Everyone's really excited to get out of Northern Scandinavia, see the sun. And it usually has like quite a good turnout. I was, I was really, really surprised that there was such a low turnout for the women's sprint, especially that said, before we, we, we dive too deep into it, I do have to preface it saying, I mean, Sweden did struggle. They're struggling a lot with illness right now. So there's, there's a lot of, of the top women from Sweden that are, that are out with illness. But aside from that, I don't know. Ice time. Were you surprised? Like it was such a low turnout. I, I don't really understand why there was so little women at the sprint event. No, I was. I, did Sweden have one, one skier, two, two? Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe because the the tour starts a couple of days later than usual, and then you have the doubles maybe a couple of days earlier than than normal. Then people stay at home, go training. But uh, other than that, yeah, I was surprised. 39 skiers. Usually it's 70, at least 70 in the qualification. It feels like the qualification was kind of just a warm-up, especially for the best 20 girls. I, I don't remember the, the time difference, but uh, for sure it was over 10 seconds. I, I would bet my life. So, well, and, and and we should specify it's like it's not like the tour de ski starts in three days like there's a whole Hello. week off for for christmas and then another week before the tour starts so there is plenty of time for folks to recover although you know as you guys said like seems like uh respiratory and other viruses are just like raging across the north so yeah because of, of course we we missed the the russians but um other than that there are still more more skiers out there but some complaints about uh econo- economy and um i don't know the small nations maybe they have uh have problems i don't know canada you had you had one u23 girl she didn't qualify yeah yeah but we had we had three actually so we had we had three but you're right you're right there was a, a young girl making her debut this is exciting from canada lillian gangyao she did she just didn't squeak in she was just outside but Still a young, uh, promising athlete, so it's fun to see her get a chance, even though the sprint didn't go her way. But uh, Olivia Bufard Nesbit qualified in thirtieth. Um, didn't have a whole lot to write home about in her in her heat at the end. She finished fifth in her heat, but I thought fun to get some experience. She'd never been in the heats before. That was cool. And then Daria Beatty also made it in, and and again, just like just didn't really wasn't able to convert in the heats, but. Yeah, you know, like like you said, I said it's been strange. Like, there's been a lot of talk about this, and this is a question I want to get to later. We'll kind of like earmark this one about uh, the economics, because like when we get deeper into this podcast, I got asked Einstein for some advice of how we how we can help cross country skiing out a little bit, at least on the World Cup. But I don't want to do that right right now. But um, yeah, I was really surprised. Like Einstein said, it's it's something we're we're used to seeing 65, 70 at least in Davos for the sprint. It's a it's a shorter sprint. You know, it's two and a half minutes ish a little late a little more than that but it's like fast furious it's an event that like usually a lot of different women can compete in um but when i say compete like it's a pretty open sprint it's not like just like the same names are just like banging this one out all the time and i thought this would be a great opportunity for for the international field and it wasn't to be it wasn't to be one thing though but so we we can just go right to the final because I did think the final was actually pretty exciting. One, one more point. I, I'm looking at the result list right now because I was curious. Switzerland, they they only had four skiers. 
I, I don't know why why couldn't they have uh, they should have at least have four plus six ten they should have had ten but they can only find four exactly uh, and this is this is also just a crazy to me because you're you you have the woman that won the sprint the infanteric is is Swiss so the best in the world is Swiss on the day and like you said Einstein that the that the home nation only comes to the start field with four when they have some women uh especially like uh Weber and stuff like I think they're even a couple of sisters but like juniors like these are young these girls are young uh these women yeah, sorry, are yeah. young but but still give them a chance they're at home there's no traveling Switzerland's a small country like let them let For them the go let them have a chance exactly exactly like, just to be able to ski the same races uh Jesse Diggins and Fenrich and yeah of course uh, the Swedes were not the Swedes were not there but uh yeah all the other big stars uh, were there except for the Russians. so uh, that's that's crazy just four Swiss skiers I don't know why somebody should answer that question not us but we could speculate hopefully it's not because they don't have have more I don't know, but that's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah this that's should... hard to believe. Yeah, just bring I mean, some of the spectators. Just give exactly, them. Some... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Throw the show totally. off, like yeah, exactly. For sure, we've been to Davos a lot. Stand, there's a ton of skiers. There's a lot of women skiers in Davos. Just, just give them a bib and let get them in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you, you standing there with a big bell. Just get yeah. over here. You just got a bib. You're number forty. <laughs> That's uh, that's that's not good. But uh, like you said, I think the sprint was a uh, was a really good competition, both on the women's and the men's side. That was, um, yeah, really. And I think it was exciting because Nadine he, she won the qualification, and then she chose to ski in heat five, quarterfinal number five. I didn't understand why, but uh, she she pulled it off, luckily. <laughs> but uh, I think it was a good race. No, it's true. And I think, I think you brought up something because this is one of my biggest pet peeves on this podcast is when really big time bosses pick heat five in the sprint. And can you, can you just like explain a little bit, like, at least in my mind, I, I think it's a humongous disadvantage because you get 20 minutes less rest, but it's something we never, never see. And when Fenrik picked such a late heat, I was like, I was floored. I'm like, what is she doing? But I just, like I just want to make sure listeners understand. So basically there are five heats, five quarterfinal heats. The first one goes second, third, fourth, fifth. If you pick the fifth, you have that many fewer heats, less time to recover before you have to race again in the semifinal. Just to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, but, uh, but here you have, um, I think it's it's a bit different competition the women and the, the men sprint because uh, if you are skiing in heat number 1 quarterfinal number 1 as a women you have four uh, quarterfinals for the women and then you have five quarterfinals for the men so maybe she has an experience that um, the total time of uh, competition will be too long so maybe i thought that she she chose number 5 because then she still has uh, more or less the same uh, rest time as the men's who chooses the first heat. So I was thinking maybe that's the reason, but still when you're in altitude, even though I think Nadine lives in that type of altitude, it, it normally it's a disadvantage. But when you are strong, hey, please inviting your uh, competitors competitors into the to the game. Maybe she's just humble. 
I uh, I also had a question for both of you guys. So, um, I mean, Panjik has looked really good the past couple of weeks. Uh, she won in Vitostolen as, as well. Um, but um, I was curious, how much do you guys think you actually get an advantage of, I don't know if she actually lives in Davos, but I assume she, you know, is skiing. She does live in Davos. So, so she's skiing on those trails all the time. Like how much of an advantage is it to ski like on your home course? Cause I, I, you know, or on a course that you like you're training on all the time, I have to assume that that is a meaningful advantage. I can start with that. Like, I mean, for sure in some ways, yeah. But in other ways, like Nadine Fenrik has been on the world cup for quite a while and a sprint course like Davos is kind of special. And Oystein can talk to this too, because it's only a two lap race and it's a kind of like an oval. Um, you, after like competing and warming up and testing your skis year after year after year, it's a little bit like Alpine skiing where you see like guys in like Vengen or Kitzbühel, like they're older racers usually that do well because they just have that experience, that breadth of experience. They know the line they've been doing this so many years so I'm, I, I'm not really too sure that like the tactics are that big an advantage to, to be living there. I don't know what Oysten thinks, but that's my, my perspective. But one thing is that an advantage, if, if you're that kind of person, I'd like to ask Oysten about this too, because he's, he's had this opportunity racing close to home. Um, like to, to be the hometown favorite and then having just won the world cup and by the stolen a week before in classic, like Nadine Fenrik is an amazing skier, of course, but classic sprinting has not been her like best ever. And she just wins a classic sprint and then comes to Davos. You have the hometown crowd, family, friends, it, the sun is shining. Like what, what a feeling. And I, I know I've I mean, I've been roommates with Alex when he came to Quebec, even on seasons when Alex Harvey has been like, not that great the, the tail end of his career where it's like, man, like Alex hasn't been on the podium. He had races, not even in the, the points in his last season skiing. And he comes to Quebec city and the guy just delivers, you know, and, and, and he said it himself, like just to feel that love and the, the passion and the energy from, from his friends and family, when you don't get a chance to do this all the time. And Fenrik doesn't like, yeah, the world cup comes to, to Switzerland every year, but it's like one weekend in Davos a year, you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of a big deal. And when you're in good shape and you're on the hometown course, I think there's an energy there, but I don't know. Oysten, what do you think? Hmm. Well, I think I think um, I think uh, I think she has an advantage when it comes to pacing, especially in the since there is two two laps, she will probably have trained, so she know the pacing. I know when I was skiing and uh, when I started to struggle a bit with the qualification, uh, I used to ski faster the day before than the actual qualification because my pacing was off during the the competition so i think maybe she has an advantage of of the pacing but for sure the pressure is bigger and when she won in bytestone she she knew that there will be a uh, i would say a a, a big uh, crowd in cross-country skiing cheering for nadine and hoping and perhaps even expecting her to win and that's i think maybe she felt felt the pressure more than before yeah but when when um, I, I felt the same pressure in um, the year after the Olympics in Vancouver, we we had the world champs on home ground, and uh, I felt the same pressure. I was not uh, the best skier I was that year. I my training was 
fair to say, too bad. Uh, and uh, I did not tackle the pressure. I think I finished 42nd in the sprint qualification uh, and uh, was uh, standing in the uh, in the stadium when Devon and uh, Alex won their team relay. So, yeah, I, I, I felt the, the pressure myself. And not, sometimes it could be an advantage, but when you don't tackle it, then it's a huge disadvantage. I would just um, emphasize in, in this race, I mean, I don't know where else we we're going to go, but I, I just thought the final, I mean, as you guys both said, I mean, it was, that was, it was so awesome. I mean, I mean, the final was, it was stacked. You had Tyrell Ludnis Wang, you had Hagstrom from Sweden, you had Feindlich, you had Diggins and just, it, it was a total toss up all the way. I, I mean, Feindlich kind of pulled away, but then those remaining podium places, you know, we didn't even really find out who was third for about five minutes after the race. Cause it was so close. And, um, you know, Jesse really, really kind of pulled it out. I mean, uh, when kind of collapsed a little, a little bit there on the, on the home stretch, but I, you know, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about the last hundred, 150 meters of that race. Cause it was just like, that was epic. For sure. It was epic. Like I thought for sure that Diggins was going to take it. I, I thought she was in great position. She's the best descender by far. We'll get to that with today's race. I mean, like what she does on the downhills is, is outstanding. And then when I saw the finish photo, I don't know you guys then, but when I saw the finish photo, I'm like, oh my God, like Diggins was fourth. Diggins was fourth there because because you saw it from from the, I guess that you're getting the photo from the right side and she was on the right side. And I'm like, oh man, she was fourth. But then when you see the head-on view and you saw like Tiril just be in the perfect position and just completely stop in the last 50 meters. You know how short that finishing stretch is, I stand like it's crazy short. And once you're into that finishing straight, usually no matter what the gender, it's like, it's kind of signed, sealed and delivered. Like it's, it's really hard to like make big moves there. And, and in both in the men and the women, there was, there was some big moves and, and uh, yeah, Hogstrom and Diggins had just like outstanding lunges. And I mean, Tire Lindus Vang was 0.01 seconds from a bronze medal. So she was right in there. She had a great lunge too but really kind of tightened up there. And it just made the whole final like super exciting. Like you said too, uh, you have Parmakowski there in fifth and then Stenseth. I thought that was kind of exciting. Like she, she's, she's got a lot of power. She's great at qualifying, maybe missing a little bit in her endurance and, and to see her in the final, I mean, it did, her, the final didn't go all that great for her, but, but at the same time, it's always great to be in the final. And, and especially when you haven't been in the final all that much. And I thought, uh, I thought, yeah, I thought the whole race was, was awesome, but, I, but Tita, tying up at the end a little bit like that was was a bit surprising to me when she was in such good position yeah i, th I thought it was funny when when they come home to the finishing straight it's like you said it's really short and 50 meters before the finish line i was certain that uh Tiril would win and then 20 meters before the finish line i was certain that nadine would win but then Tiril will be second and then on the finish line i was certain that Tiril was third, and then I saw the, uh, I saw the, the, the photo, the, the finished photo, and then I was like, no, oh, she's fourth. Okay, yeah, exciting finish, good sprint. That <laughs> was, it was. I think it was one. This was my favorite sprint in the women's side for a for a while, actually. I agree. It was so good, and especially like coming after such a disappointing qualifier as we move on to the men, like. 
like after seeing the start list for the qualifier and then just like kind of looking like you said i stand looking through the results of the qualifier and being like oh my god like you have you have women in there like 10 seconds back in a two and a half minute sprint like what is this this isn't a world cup and then to have to be treated to a final like that that was exciting it was tight uh people trying a little different tactics and then like you said it wasn't over till it's over and, and the hometown favorite wins and oh man it was uh and just uh, how great and, and here's something else because i'm gonna get murdered for what i'm about to say and that's fine normally if we go through the history of lunging and women and my, my wife's part of this like kristen stormer styra has had like some of the world's worst lunges to lose olympic medals and world championship medals and stuff um they just usually not usually but at times like women lunges have, have been a, a point of contention if anyone has anything to say about that we can put it to bed because if you look at the finished photo like you're saying Einstein, all those women are lunging like total champs and it's not like Tita lost because she did some like weird lunge or missed her lunge completely like she was laying it out there and it, it just had excitement all the way to the end and then you know what else had excitement all the way to the end nat you can just tee us up for the men's race because wow that that was just wow well well i think we gotta go we gotta rewind to like seven hours before the start of the men's sprint to when uh Federico Pellegrino Italian world champion uh his alarm clock goes off at 3 a.m local time um I know that I know I think in a previous edition of the podcast I had um mistakenly said that he has a new baby but he does not yet have a new baby so so Pellegrino wakes up uh in in his comfortable bed in Italy looks over at his egregiously pregnant wife and is like, hey, Greta, um, you good if I just take off for the day and drive, you know, over the Alps to Davos, Switzerland? And she's like, yeah, honey, things are good. So he loads up into his car, uh, drives, you know, I don't know if he drives himself. I'm assuming he he does drive himself. He drives himself. I've been looking for press coverage on this because this is such a good story. So he drives himself, uh, you know, in his Skoda or whatever over like four Alpine passes arrives in Davos, pounds like four cappuccinos and then uh, and then warms up and and, uh, you know, races, has a good qualifier, makes it through the heats to the final. I'll let you guys pick up uh, from there. I, I love the part about the the car. That's 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 good. I, I can see uh, I can see Pellegrino driving in his old car. He's uh, he's he doesn't have a driver standing standby at uh, 3 a.m. in the morning. Actually, I think he's he's an Italian skier. He's not a soccer player from uh, Milan. So yeah, I am I'm, I'm 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 quite certain he he drove himself. Actually, we had him on the, our podcast. Um, uh, I think it was on Monday, and he was not certain if he, if he would travel or not. But um, uh, yeah. Well, can we just can we just like pause this podcast for a second to appreciate the fact that I mean this is an Olympic sport. Uh, you know, okay, we may have dozens of listeners and we may be hacks, but like it, you know, there is a certain degree of legitimacy on this sport. In this sport, like it is televised internationally, and yet like. Federico Pellegrino has to wake up at 3 a.m. and drive himself like doesn't have a private jet can't even even get like a fucking minivan from the Italian team like that is that is it's crazy and it's awesome and it's kind of why cross-country skiing is is great um yeah well I don't know so so yeah so we've got Pellegrino in the final we've got Clybo in the final um and and we've got British skier Jim, Jimmy Clugnay in the final. Um, I don't know. I mean, Devin, do you want to kind of take us through how that unfolded or, or and what happened? Sure, sure. We can we can just go through the final, and then we can come down to the heat the heats a little bit more. But yeah, like we'll just go right to the final, like you said. Pellegrino 
asking his heavily pregnant wife, like, we good? And she's like, just get out there. I also think like, it's a good lesson for some young skiers that, that, you know, get very stressed, right? Like you want everything to be perfect. And the closer it is to like a goal, a big goal of yours that you're like, no, I mean, everything has to be like totally dialed in. And yes, the details are super important, but there is something to say to you about just like kind of letting go and like, like the cards will fall, will they fall? And yes, Pellegrino has a, a world championship gold medal individually as multiple Olympic medals individually. Like he, he's, he's obviously an amazing sprinter and, and more of a veteran on the world cup, but to not just like go to Davos, but go to Davos and clear his mind to be like, yeah, I might have, I may have driven four and a half hours from Iosta to, to Davos. And I may have gotten up at three in the morning, but I love skiing. And I'm just going to give this my best shot. And he got out of the way of himself and put together a beautiful event. One caveat here, we talked about like courses and like do courses suit people or don't suit people. Let's just, let's just like number one and two, first of all, Claybo got beat. We'll get back to that. That's crazy. And he got beat in the last, like, again, like 50 meters, which is triply crazy. But Pellegrino has had had three victories in Davos prior to this victory. So now he has four. Claybo has four the last four <laughs> sprint victories in Davos. So these guys are good on this course. And, and the fact that he beat Klebo and the way he beat Klebo by coming around him for the first time ever uh, was outstanding. But I, I just, I can't get over the fact that like, yeah, it's confidence for sure. It's confidence, but it's something deeper than that. Like it, that's like a real master to be able to get out of the way of yourself and be like, whatever happens happens. I'm just going to ski. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to do the best I can. And then he comes away with the world cup victory by taking the crown of the day of the day. Claybo is going to win everything else for the rest of the season. Don't worry about it. But like on the day by coming around Claybo and dusting him to the line, it was, it was just, like you said, outstanding story and outstanding race. And Shana too. I thought it was great. He qualified first. He's always great in Davos. I, I just want to say it, it was just so nice to see Shana finally put together a great final to, to secure the podium, but there's other stories too, but I stand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just like to, um, to add something about what you said about, um, I don't think it's only youngsters who need to learn from Pellegrino's uh, attitude into, into this competition. I think a lot of elite skiers who have been on the circus for, for many years can learn because uh, like you said, there is, uh, Everyone wants to do their best. They want to perform at their top level. And then it's easy to make it more serious than it really is. I asked uh, uh, Chico Pelle, as he called, um, calls himself. Um, I asked him, what is your uh, main goal for the rest of your career? You won the world champs. You won uh, Olympic medals. You won, you won everything. What is your goal? And he said, my goal is just to have fun and ski my very best. I may not win. I may win, but I will always do my very best and I will always have fun. And that's what I will do if I will ski in Davos, even though I have to drive at night. And that I think he did. And the result, we can see on the result list. So I think, and I, I, I feel uh, when I was skiing myself, I was better at uh, enjoying my skiing in the beginning of my career and then the end in the middle mm, not so good i tried to optimize everything and then i lost the passion i lost the joy and then my skiing got worse 
you could just for sure. And I can, I can see, I like just sorry, sorry to cut you off, Nat. Um, but mm-hmm. I, but I, but I just totally agree with what I stand saying. It's like I experienced the same, not not like early in my career, but like let's say middle to late in my career, I was skiing at my best. Uh, we don't need to go in in into it too too much. But but you're absolutely right, I stand like when I started training like upwards of a thousand hours a year and trying to optimize like everything, like my training got like really good. And I was like a beast in training, but my results were like a scattershot and I just couldn't figure it out. And instead of just like, I've talked about this in the podcast before, but like a hockey player, if you grip the stick too tightly, your hands turn to lead and then it's really easy for you to like lose the puck. And, and, and really, I mean, the hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but like, I, it wasn't for lack of trying. I wanted it so bad. And I'd had success. And I don't know if you probably had this experience too, I stand like I'd, I'd had success. I'd won world cups. I'd been on the podium. I'd been on the podium, of the overall world cup. And it's like, okay, like now I want to take the globe or like now I want to take championship medals. I got to train harder. I got to be smarter. I have to optimize. I got to do all this. And I, and I wanted it too bad in a way. And then any little thing that wasn't going my way, like I couldn't just let it go. I wasn't Zen at all. I mean, I was just like looking over all the stones, you know, like no stone left unturned. Like I'm just like wasting all my energy, flipping every single stone in all of Switzerland, trying to figure out why the race in Davos didn't go my way. And and it is a great lesson that Pellegrino did. And, and the way he did it was just like phenomenally inspiring. And, and how are you skiing? I mean, I think the confidence too, because it's, it's another thing too, like getting back to the race itself. Pellegrino may be all these things like a great skier and all this Palmares or palm, list of Palmares is, is long, but he still has to maintain that confidence that he can do it. And, and you and I both raced in, in the prime of Nortug's career and Nortug won a lot of races before the race was over because he would just be screwing around in the field. And yeah, it was in his head and he's looking around and he's like, he's not chirping with like saying words, like a, like someone in a football match or, or a hockey game would do, but, but just his presence deep in a race, you, you could see, you could just feel the field. And I was part of that field. I was part of those fields that just lost the belief that I was fighting for the gold anymore. Cause you're like, Oh, we tried everything and Nortug's still here. Yeah. We're down to six guys. So I have a good chance for the podium, but winning that's over. Nortug's here. He looks fresh. And he dusts people. Kalebo has had that in, in sprinting um, in a different way. He's not a showman like uh, like Nortug was. But but the fact of the matter is, I, re- I was really inspired by Pellegrino and the way he did it, coming around him. And, and yeah, it takes a lot of confidence instead of just following behind him and then coming second again. I mean, it's a great race. What can you say? It would have been a great story no matter what. They were a class above the rest of the field. And, and yeah, so it was... It- I mean, that's, that's the first time we've seen uh, Clybo loot, not, not win a, a, um, a sprint race this season. And, and, and first race we've seen him not win by like an, a, a mile, you know, and, and to see, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love the way that um, Pellegrino was kind of, he was really overcome with emotion at the end. I would, I would give you guys a little bit more credit in that. I mean, I think I have to imagine it's, it's easier to be Zen like that when, you know, I mean, both of you guys had insane accomplishments in your careers, but it's like Pellegrino could like retire, you know, I don't, I don't think Pellegrino is sort of like, doesn't like, like you said, always seem like, it doesn't seem like he's chasing anything anymore. You know, he's kind of accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. Um, And I just feel like, you know, when you're, when you've been at that level and you're his age, um, you know, maybe that makes it a little bit easier to just kind of accept whatever is there. Um, I don't know if, okay. Go for it. I just give you one one detail detail about um, 
Pellegrino and his uh, skiing in in Davos because uh, um, Pellegrino is ski- now skiing in uh, skiing with uh, Rossignol, and I used to ski with Rossignol myself uh, during my World Cup career. And um, I remembered one time we were in Davos, and he told me that um, uh, when he was testing his skis before the competition in Davos, he said that I always only test which ski, which pair of ski, who is best in the last corner because the speed i need out of that last corner will uh, will tell me if i will win or if i will lose the sprint so i only test the last corner the ski that would give me the biggest speed in the end of the corner i will take and uh, i asked him on the instagram yeah he will do the same this year uh, so i was uh, sitting and following and then and then when i saw the final i was like hmm, that's crazy that's crazy, and especially when you know the the brand that Crabo uh, um, is skiing uh, skiing with uh, is not so good when the the conditions are really compact, and then you have a tight turn like in Davos with high speed. So, yeah, let's just want to throw that into the mix. I love that we get to shit talk Clybo skis on uh, on this. Uh... I did not say. I just, <laughs> I just said that there are different types of skis. We saw the same in biathlon uh, a couple of days ago, or was it yesterday? Yesterday, yeah, it was well. Yeah. So, so before, just really quickly, but if if we're about to move on from the men's sprint, I did I did want to chapeau uh, James Clugney, the the British skier who you know makes his first final. You know, it's been a just a, such a slog for the. Brits this year and I just want to play because he posted I don't know if you guys saw this he posted on Instagram like a clip of his parents watching like it must have been the semi-final uh from like their apartment with with croissants and stuff um and and you can just like you I'm gonna they're just like freaking out here So, so, you know, this, this was like a real great subplot. I mean, it's been a great couple of weeks for Great Britain after, you know, their, their government um, in its infinite wisdom tried to basically kill them off this year. This is the, the second straight weekend of, of really awesome results. And I, you know, I, I hope that they continue seeing it, even if the, even if the British skiers are basically Norwegians uh, as well. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Jamie was so good, and to be in the final was amazing. I also like before we move on, like Evan Northug's having a season, and I, I, I mean he looks great. Classic skate. I mean he did everything right. He just was outgunned by three better skiers on a course that suits three better skiers. I mean another thing, Clebo. If everyone's all freaking out, I mean because people in North America they don't get inundated with like mass media on every time Clabo coughs and every time he blows his nose and like live updates on, on the color of his mucus. Clabo has been sick for a couple of weeks here. And of course, was he at his best? Absolutely not. I mean, of course he wasn't. Anyone that's had a head cold and has been a professional endurance athlete knows coming off that and then going to altitude, like he wasn't at his best, but regardless, he was skiing well and he got beat by a guy that just was like Einstein said, had carried a bit more speed out of the corner and had the confidence to come around him. So nothing gets that, but, Klebo has has been sick. Edvin Anger, too, because like nobody talks more shit about the Swedish men's program than me. I love this kid. He's 20 years old and talk about like talk about a breakthrough season. Wait, like, where's Oscar Svensson? Like Cali, he's not feeling well, so he didn't go either. Sweden, it's not like Sweden has no sprinters and like is devoid of any sprint talent. 
they have guys that are just not showing up and not playing ball. And Angad is 20 years old, dude. He was sixth at World Juniors last year. It's not like he was like World Junior champ last year, beating everybody by like 10 meters. Like this season has been outstanding. And like, I've been really inspired by him. And one last thing, of course, the Americans like, like yeah, we're, we're so used to seeing Benny, like Ben Ogden or JC, especially in skating, let's say, like make semifinals. That's kind of like where they live. And we're all on the edge of our seats waiting for them to, to, to make the final and, and come to play. They didn't have their, their best day, of course, in 21st and 22nd today. And that that's going to happen. It's such a tight sprint. Like I can, I mean, in speak to this too. yeah, yeah. Well, that there's that too. And that's what I'm, that's what I was, that's what I was getting to. It's like, it is such a tight sprint and it's the margins are thin. Graham Ritchie Canadian struggling this year uh, prior to this weekend, 17th. I know it doesn't sound like much and, Richie's better than that. You know, he had a great qualifier in eighth, but just to see him crack a top 20 after just a really tough start to the season. When the best skiers in the world want to go faster, they turn to Fisher's Speedmax Helium system. The all-new Fisher Speedmax boots feature an enhanced carbon cuff to provide optimal torsional stiffness and increased power transfer to the ski. The refined inner shoe provides compelling fit and performance. Are you ready to find out how much faster this World Cup-ready combo will make you next season? Go to fishersports.com to learn more about the Fisher Speedmax Helium system. But I do want to ask one thing, Einstein. Like, Sindra Bjornstad-Skar, seventh, you know, just not fast enough to make the, the final. Skate sprinting is kind of his jam. It's it's a struggle, but I wanted to just hear your perspective a little, Loistein. Like I, I I love Sindra. He's a good dude. I know him pretty well. I mean, you know him super well. So we're not we don't need to go all into it. But what's going through an older athlete's mind on the Norwegian program that is so tight and so hard and it's just not clicking? And you know, like, is this it? Like, is this kind of like my sprint career coming to a close before? I'm seventh. He's like the seventh best sprinter in the world. He's amazing. But you just, you, you got to make finals in the Norwegian team. Like, was that hard for you to deal with um, when that time came for you? Or is that something you talked about with like maybe some of the guys that went to ski classics later, like uh Shellstad's a good example or JKD, like John Christian Dahl. And like a lot of the, these guys, cause I, I'm just really feeling for Sindra cause he's not skiing bad. Like he, he's, he's looking good, but he, but he just, just these near misses like this is, is just really, really tough. And it's a tough position to be as Norwegian. So you want to just answer to that, Einstein, if, if you want, and then we'll move on to the distance racing. Well, I, um, I haven't spoke to Sindri about this, but uh, from my perspective, it's, it's a really hard um, position to be in. Of course, it's, it's really nice to be number seven. Uh, but when you are a skier like Sindri and seven is your best result, mm, then it's really hard because you know when you're not on top, you're not performing in the top level, you might be number 40. And then we when you start to qualify as number 40 or 35, and then maybe you get a seventh, or maybe you get uh, and you end up like 21st, then the road out of the World Cup and down to Scandinavian Cup and Norwegian Cup, it's really short. And that trip is really hard. One, of course, it's it's not so fun to do 
to do Scandinavian Cups and National Cups when you are used to World Cups. But second, it's so hard to to knock yourself into the team again because then you are suddenly back in line. Then you have some so many youngsters and so many national skiers who are ahead of you in line. So it's I, I think I'm I'm quite sure that even though I haven't spoke to Cinder about it, I'm quite sure that he, he feels the pressure and uh, yeah. And I think also, I know when I was in that position, I performed really good at training. I told you I, I used to ski faster in the training than I did in the competition because I I understood that this time it's really important to do a really good race. And then you want it a little too, too bad. And then you just end up skiing slow. Like uh, the time I met you in um, in Quebec, I don't remember the the result. I, I I qualified as number ten, I think, and then I was straight out in the quarterfinals. I think my fitness and my skiing itself was good enough for a better result, but I'm I'm a hundred percent sure that I wanted it way too much, and then that was just bad. Like the hockey player with the stick, grabbing grabbing the stick too hard. Even though I don't know nothing about ice hockey at all, but I I trust Devin. <laughs> um, well, should we move on to uh, Sunday and the the distance races, which were um, exciting and maybe not so exciting? And maybe let's start with exciting. Yeah, let's start with exciting, and oh, we're gonna get just like inundated with hate mails from our dozens of fans. But 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 like, listen. You gotta watch these women's races. They're amazing. The women's sprint final was amazing. The women's distance race on the worst produced. Yes, and it took the cake again. I'm watching like we're following Niskanen all the way into the finish. We're not following like Diggins do the whole sprint finish. No, we're following Niskanen. Like, good job, guys. Like, as yes, those beautiful angles of like the stationary camera looking straight on as a woman is climbing and she's been climbing for like six minutes. So she's wrecked coming up to like a split point at like 1.8 K or 2 K like with like, with like a car going by. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Like the the production, I think they've moved on from an iPhone four, which is nice. So at least like it's a little clearer. It's like, it's in high definition. So the bad production is in high definition, but like, we're going to leave that aside. Production sucked. It's like the Davos, same camera. Get your shit together. It's the same camera and camera crew they're using for the Davos World Economic Forum. So like they yeah, know the like right. Putin and and you know Biden and dignitaries, but like they couldn't like shoot their yeah. way out of the ski races. Paper no, bag. exactly. Like it's like they can't they can't follow the, the speed of the athletes and the, how great the athletes are. Not at all. But that said, what a race! Like, oh my god, it was so exciting. Ingveld Flugstadosberg, who's a good friend of my wife and has really struggled the last three years um really really struggled and hasn't been able to race uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before but because of b- bone density essentially um she flew really close to the sun and got burned with it like what can you say like and it's touch and go and she's had some great training it's amazing to see her back i like I, i'm flabbergasted like the last three years have been just like a complete nightmare and she was this close to winning and if if there was anyone else she was fighting against in any other course on the entire world cup, maybe toe block, but any other course than toe block, she wins this, but the last two K last three K of Davos is gradual downhill with some corners and nobody skis that terrain better than Jesse Diggins and Jesse Diggins, again, just puts on a clinic wins the thing 
Osberg is back on the podium, five, only 5.5 seconds back in a 20K. And then you have Rosie Brennan pipping Tyrell Lindisvang again. Tyrell, poor Tyrell, fourth again. And this is like 0.5 seconds. But she's in the yellow bib having like the season of her life. So let, I don't feel too bad for her. But still, it was it was a phenomenal race. Rosie Brennan back on the podium after being sick earlier this year. You have Anna Shirsti Calvo in fifth, who's just having like a banner year. The Norwegian women's distance scheme, it's like they're racing with like like a real like chip on their shoulder. It's awesome. All summer long, everyone's like, ah, oh, we have no expectations. Like, ah, oh, the women suck. Like Sweden, 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 they're the best. Like the Norwegian women have no chance. And they're just delivering week in, week out. Claudel, of course, not surprising to be in sixth. Anyways, so many great storylines. Stan, you, you can take it away. I love the whole race. I thought, other than the shit production, it, this, was a, this was a great race. And I mean, 20K skate was also, I was like, are we going to really like 20K individual start skates for women? Like, is this, is this going to be like exciting or anything? And they're like, man, yes. The answer is yes. It was, it was awesome. It was amazing. Yeah, I don't think I have... Uh... I don't think I have anything to add. I I I, I love the race myself. Uh, I think Rosie Brennan, she's always good in Davos. So uh, I thought I thought when I saw her in the beginning, I thought, well, maybe she will she will win. Um, and then I saw Espad coming on uh, some bibs later, and I was like, no, I think Espad will win. And then Jesse, what's with Jesse in her downhill skiing? It's like uh, bringing up uh, the Canadian. Um, Olympic champion Chandler Crawford's chuck skate style. It's, uh, I, 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 is it some kind of American Canadian secret or I, I don't know? It's some say it's the skis, but I, when you look at her technique, it's like she's really bended forward, like more than anyone. She's bended forward and her head is actually close to her knees the whole time and she's skating. It feels like she's almost tripping. But she's not. She's just really fast. It's I I I don't know. What's the secret? I think it's, it is uh, true. I'm sorry, Nat. Go on. No, go for it. No, no. But I just think like technically, like it is. It's amazing. And you're right. Like Chandra Crawford, no one free skated like Chandra, and she has World Cup wins because of it. She's the Olympic champion because like Chandra was a total champ free skating, and Jesse, and also too like anyone that's alpine skied with Chandra Crawford. She grew up in Camor, like. She, the girl rips, man. Like, like Chandra Crawford rips on the fat boards too. Like, it's amazing. You just like watch her powder scheme and you're just like, oh my God, like this is unbelievable. But then you see where she grew up and you're like, okay, Jesse Diggins grew up in Minnesota in the, That's burbs, what I was say. in the burbs of Minnesota. Go to Minneapolis. Great people. Like really nice. It's like nice river. Like some forests are nice. A really great cross country skiing culture, actually like phenomenal. It ain't the Rocky Mountains of Canada. And you don't have a dad who's you're like skiing on Mr. golf courses. You're skiing on golf courses, and you don't have a dad who's like Mister Mountain, like Glenn Crawford is, like just the mountain man to the T. Like Jet, but Jesse picked up big time on, like you said, Austin. You're absolutely right. Like getting super, super low, using her legs super, super well, and a lot like Chandra too, finding lines, finding lines that no one's willing to take through these corners and really accelerating out of them, like you're saying, Austin. Like, but like. Chandra and, and, and Jesse are the two women I've ever, I've seen. They just like, they find lines on the women's events that no one else finds. And in Davos, like this was signed, sealed, delivered at the top. Honestly, I'm like, okay, like Esper has like three, four seconds, like six seconds. I think I saw like, this is kind of done. And then it was anyone else. It is done. But Jesse doesn't just put five seconds into her. She puts like 11 seconds into her on that section. It's, 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 it's bonkers. It was, it was amazing. 
I was going to say the same thing. I mean, just, you know, the fact that actually the race was not sealed at the top there. I mean, it seemed like it was. And then all of a sudden Jesse comes out of nowhere. I mean, my sense also, I mean, really, I, I think it's really interesting to watch those two women race like Ingvild and Jesse, because um, I mean, I think, I think Jesse's like technique is, is professional. Like it, maybe it, maybe it wasn't as good at the beginning of her career, but like, even though it is like improved, like she just, she, you can see, and she started out the race, like pretty hot. I think like, you know, she had, she was way out ahead at that first split and then was like losing not a lot of time, but a little time to Ingvild. But then like, you know, you just saw her kind of gritting it out on those last laps. Like she does not look good anymore. Like she's really just holding on. But I, but I also think one of the things that, you know, she really has in her favor is like that woman just does not let her foot off the gas pedal, like anywhere on the course. And so I think it's, it's like, if there's anywhere on a descent that you're going to make time by working or by versus by tucking, like, I think Jesse is going to find those places. And then, you know, you also just saw her at the finish line, literally like unable to see, unable to walk. She's also, you know, just willing to, to put her body uh, to a place that, that no one else is willing to, as, as we have covered innumerable times on this podcast. But that, I mean, that was a crazy moment was like, you know, she, I was actually going to comment on yesterday. It was shocking to me. She actually stayed on her feet and did not collapse in a heap at the end of that sprint final, which I thought was like pretty unusual for Jesse Diggins. But today, you know, she ends like on, on her back, like unable to move. And then like, I guess she said, basically like she froze her eyeballs on the descent. So then she had to be like helped up, helped off the course, like, because she literally could not see. And then they had live camera shots of her talking with Rosie Brennan and, and her teammates. And, and then she sees the camera and she's like, Hey, Hey, Chad, you know, my husband, if you're, and my mom, if you're watching this, like, I'm okay. It was, I just froze my eyes, but um, yeah, that was, that was kind of a crazy moment and, and just would, would um, underline, you know, Rosie Brennan having kind of a rough start to the season with, with getting sick and missing a bunch of races. And just to, you know, as, as Oyston said, like she, she slays it in Davos. Like, I feel like every year didn't have, you know, seemed like didn't have a great day yesterday, but to see her back on the podium, it's just, you know, I, I think, she's it's it's not easy to be doing what Rosie does at at Rosie's age not that she's like old old but you know she's just been doing it a long time and and you don't want to see her not getting rewarded for for continuing to put the work in for sure I I think that uh, Jess is my favorite skiing skier in in the World Cup right now and she's always skiing with so so much passion and we talked uh, earlier about uh, not getting too serious and you could see that when when Jess is skiing, of course, she's, she's serious. But I think the whole American team is bringing up a, a sense of joy, bringing some some joy into the professional uh, World Cup circus. I think I think there are really good um, role models for perhaps uh, the Norwegians, uh, especially just to bring some joy into it. They, they, they have their socks when it's relay, they have the sparkles, they have the stars, they have everything. And I think they, they ski with passion. And like you said, when, when you ski, so you get blind, then you deserve to win. Like there's, there's nothing more to say. You are blind. Here you are. You are the winner. You are still blind, but you won. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it was, it was an outstanding. And before we move on to the men, like, Catherine Stewart-Jones 
has been having just such an amazing season. And I, I was so, so, so impressed with how she's been racing, especially like gritting it out in Lillehammer. I was working with the Canadian team there and senior just like hanging on, like not letting go of that pack in Lillehammer a couple of weeks ago to stay in that lead group. And she stayed in that lead group the whole way around to get like a personal best world cup finish there. And then this weekend skating 20 K skate, like listening to her talk about like individual start skate races, like Catherine Stewart Jones, better classics gear and hanging out with her for a little bit here going like, Oh, like really unsure of skating, even when she's having great results, like into the points and individual start skates, like this is happening. You're, 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 you've made a big step. You're in a different level, but still unsure. And again, today, Claudelle catches her for one minute and Catherine bites her teeth and goes, no, I am staying with this woman for the rest of the race. And she did. And it looked desperate there a little bit because you know, I stand on that course too. Like Davos is kind of sneaky. It's, it's not real altitude, but it's not, not altitude. It's like 1500 meters. It's kind of like a tough distance to race in. Normally it's a really tough distance to race. in when you come from sea level, everyone's been at sea level racing in Scandinavia and you go up, you're not adjusted. No one's adjusted unless Ingveld was adjusted. She came early, but but uh, anyone coming right from the World Cup is not adjusted. So you're kind of flipping a coin. And then the course itself is like old school with a capital O. I mean, there's no course in the World Cup like this. It's, 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 it's weird. It's like super gradual uphill, like not flat. It's kind of like on a cant, like you're, it's like all on like canted, like side angles, like side hills. And, and you have no rest. You have like 10 seconds of rest from kilometer zero to kilometer about 3.2 like that's it and so when someone catches you for a minute in this kind of terrain you're like usually it's sayonara like you're you're you have no business being on the back of this person especially someone like Claudel who's lighter and again lives at that altitude Catherine also lives in Camor now she's from Ottawa but anyway um the fact of the matter is I loved her heart. I loved how tough she was skiing and she gets rewarded with like an 11th place finish personal best in a 20 K individual start skate. Anyone before the season that would say in period one, Catherine Stewart Jones, best result would be in a 20 K individual start skate. There's no way no one would put money on that. Catherine, amazing stuff. And what a great, it, it, it forget the results. It's just how you're racing. Like you said, I stand about like really like gutting it out and like wanting it and like being tough and like, just like, really digging like Diggins does. Catherine's doing that as well. Like, yeah, a little deeper in the results list, but 11th, these are great results for distance skiing in Canada. And, and it's, it's been super inspiring. So big shout out to that as we move on to, and now like now we're really going to get the hate mail because I just get like so much hate mail about Let's me. Let's go. Like, Let's go. Me, me <laughs> shitting, shitting on distance men's racing, but regardless, <laughs> Let's move on to the final race of the day. Of I mean, day can ahead. can we, or are you guys already asleep from? Uh... Uh, yeah, no. Well, well, there was some great shots of pine trees. They were just they were they were legendary. No, but we're gonna we're gonna cover the men's twenty k as well. And uh, Stan, what did you see out there? Actually, I didn't see the race. I had to um, I had to do some skiing myself. Uh, so I was listening to the race on radio while I was skiing. Um, and, uh, and the race was, um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Uh, when I heard that uh, Hans Christian Hulen lapped after one lap and Sieben Hexakrieger just started, I was thinking, okay, I know, I know Siemens, uh, 
capacity in high altitude. I know him skating. I know Hans Christer Hulun, who has really been angry about every 15K turning down to a 10K. Now they are skiing together, 30K race. Oh my God. And then I heard um, Schuret was skiing fast. Ooh, I think that's good. The old man is uh, getting his uh, things back together. And then I heard Klab was really, really slow. But then I remembered, uh, I don't remember the year, maybe 20. 12 or was it 2011 Nutley did the same thing it was really slow uphill and then super fast downhill uh, so it was uh, an exciting race uh, and then I I missed a whole bunch of uh, foreign skiers though but I, I I need to I need to you were saying so much uh, nice things about uh, your friend Stuart Jones so I need to to really uh, applaud Friedrich Moch, Moch or Friedrich Moch or something because he really tried he really he really gave it all okay he blew up but still he ended up seventh I don't know if he had any better races before but uh, today's race it was um, I, I, especially the, the three guys on the podium oh my god they were they were fast today but uh, unfortunately they are all from Norway for sure. And, and I will just to give like, like some of the banter that we've been getting behind the scenes, like the back and forth, because I've been accused of like, you're killing the vibe, like, don't say it's boring. Like, these are the best gears in the world. Like, be, be say something positive. It's like, let me say something positive. If you want to see beautiful skate skiing in terrain like that, like Seaman had sex, like it, 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 it's gorgeous. He's finishing his kicks. He's in a high hip position. He's using his arms super, super well. He's keeping it on the big muscles. He has this rhythm that, like you said, Einstein, he finds early. And when you see it, you, you almost don't need splits with a guy like him. When, when you're seeing he is dancing, it's things, all the power is going in the right direction. And he's able to maintain this beautiful rhythm throughout the whole course. And, and that's, that's why you see him just absolutely undress the field. I mean, like winning by 22 seconds. It's it's crazy. Shoot off the like you said to you, like when he's on form and he had a great day today, you know, he's in this high position. He's a he's a smaller guy, right? Like he's he's pretty light, but he but he has this like beautiful rhythm that he finds early and and you know he's not putting power into into his kicks, not really at all. It, it's really more like a it's more like a ballet, like it's it's a it's a really nice dance. Like so these guys are skiing really well. Like, don't get me wrong, Tonseth is the same. Uh Claybo, we've talked about him forever. I thought it was cool to see um Ever Tildam Anderson back in six, like the guy wins a World Cup in his second World Cup of his whole life, and then he's he's top six in his in his next go around at altitude. The kid's never been anywhere at altitude before. Like these are these are great results. I have to give a huge shout out to Henrik Dommesta. I think he's just like the blue collar kid of Norway. He's ninth, but he's the seventh Norwegian. So this guy was like not at World Juniors. He wasn't at under twenty threes. Like this guy's like been grinding maybe, and he's still young. He's twenty six years old, but but first international world cup like this. And then to be in the top 10, this is great, but, 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 but this is a problem. People I'm sorry. It is a problem. It is a problem that people are getting outclassed. Like you said, awesome to see Mach world junior medalist try and die. That's how you get better. I stand. I know that better than anyone. Like that's how you get better. You got to try. Uh, I also thought it was really cool to see Ruskanen of uh, Finland eighth, not a name I'm used to seeing. Skating is not something that you see them up in that much. We're in Davos. I remember, you remember too, I was then like 
Matty Heikinen, the one time I was top 10 in Davos in a 15K skate, which is my absolute least favorite race to do on cross-country skis. Uh, Matty Heikinen won. So we were used to seeing like a guy like Matty Heikinen racing really well, but but I'm not I'm not used to seeing new names in the top 10. So that, that was really fun. So there, there is like some kind of fun stuff. Uh, Gus Schumacher in 18th, is, which is great. Graham Ritchie in 21st, like this is great. But the fact of the matter is this is international skiing. This is a problem. It's not and international men, skiing. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not international skiing. And I'm really glad to see Mach try. Uh, that's why I've been saying with Poroma, Poroma has been trying too. like earlier. He's sick. So he, he didn't come to Davos, but like, but like th- these guys are trying really hard and just exploding. You, you will get paid for that. It, it will work out for you. But I, I, people are missing belief. They're missing belief because they're getting manhandled by Norwegians every single week in the distance races and i've never seen an international field weaker than this season i'm sorry like of course russia we're missing russia so um but regardless like it, it's 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 disturbing this this is disturbing to me and but they are skiing beautifully and they deserve to win if you ski like that you're gonna win so all hats off it's gorgeous skiing if you love cross-country skiing just watch them it's awesome but I, i'm worried I, I i remain worried week in week out i'm worried you think this has been a hidden problem because the Russians may have been, uh, we have maybe three or four Russians among the the top 10. So you, you don't see the clear picture before you take out the Russians. And now with the Sweden, with the put them out and then Kala, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, then uh, yeah, you, you think, you think it's been a hidden problem or you think it's a new problem starting from now this season? Because no, I, I I agree. It's a hidden problem. It it totally is. Last two seasons, last three seasons actually is when it kind of really hit everyone in the face. Is like Russia and Norway just dominating. So you're right. You're right. It, but but like for for maybe some people that listen to this podcast that aren't like super like into the deep cuts, you know what I mean? Like going real deep uh, into the dorking out of like what's happening in international cross country skiing. They might not realize it, but like this is. It's, this is this is insane it, it, and it's it's no fault of norway they're just better but but it is we just keep getting slapped and i'm telling you man like there's no story in this there's there's no storyline in this 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 is this is this has to figure this out we need to figure this out well because the women racing is great so so it is working in it's not like the all of cross international cross-country skiing is a dumpster fire it's not there's it's some not great even, stories the sprints even, are great Yeah, exactly. It's not even all the men's races. Like the no, no, not at all. The sprints is great, but 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 the the men's distance skiing and like you said, Einstein, because it has been a hidden problem from like three, maybe even four seasons ago. But like, we can't rely on like, oh, Niskanen's out because he has COVID. Now we have no stories in classic races. Uh, Porma and Kala are out with illness, and I mean, Kala, give me a break. The last four seasons, he's been like a shotgun. He's been all over the place. Like it's like the Sometimes he's 57th and and this year he has been great. Like he's been back where he should be. But the the fact of the matter is these are one or two guys. This is a problem. And I don't know. Well, I just wanted to say quickly, well, go for go for it, Arsene. Yeah, I, I, I because it doesn't solve the problem just to say it's a problem. And uh, I'm wondering what are you guys, because we had Pellegrino on to our podcast. And we were discussing this. What is the solution? What what well, can we do? Yeah. So, so I, I'm curious. What do you guys think is the solution? Because 
Um, Pellegrino, he, he, he said, he said an interesting thing because we Norwegians, uh, for sure, we, we, we like that we are winning, but we, we, we really hope that we are competing against a lot of good competitors from a lot of different nations. And so we invite um, youngsters from different nations to, con- to Norway to train with us. And Pellegrino, he said something interesting because he said that I'm really glad I did not travel to any of those camps when I was young because then I would realize how strong you guys are, how many you are, how big facilities you have, how you, it's, it's, I cannot win. I'm really glad that I didn't travel to any of those camps. So I'm really curious, what do you guys think is the solution here? So I was going to talk about this because I mean, I think they're actually, I, I don't, as much as people might like to listen to this podcast and think that we are the negative Nancy's of world cup cross country skiing. Like this conversation is actually happening like in a pretty public way in Norway right now. Like you've got Norwegians like Tronistad, like saying this is a disaster and it's going to kill the sport. I mean, it, it feels like the only people that aren't saying anything about this are like fist bigwigs. And maybe that's because I'm not reading the right news sources, but I think so there, you know, I, I sent Devin some news clips this week because I, you know, I think, the the Norwegian press has actually kind of started to talk about like, what are some things we could do? There's been a lot of comparison uh, to biathlon because it sounds like biathlon makes a much bigger investment in, in bringing up smaller nations and, and basically giving them money to develop the sport. I think there was also discussion of an idea that came from someone, I think in Norway or Sweden that, um, the way that the red group, like the top uh, 30 or, or 50 athletes on the World Cup, uh, the, the way that system works is that if you were ranked in that top 30 or top 50, basically the World Cup circuit pays for all of your travel and lodging and logistics, which can be like an enormous hurdle if you're from a country that doesn't normally cover that stuff. Like if you're if you're an American, you're paying like thousands of dollars just to be able to get to your, you have to pay your own wax technician. Like it's crazy. So those are just a couple ideas. It sounds, I mean, and, and I think, you know, there are others like that go for it. Devin. Yeah, I know, but you're absolutely right. Like, so here's the thing, the red group used to be top 30 and they cut it down to top 15. So like the top 15 sprinters and the top 15 distance skiers get their, get their travel from Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday paid for and accommodations. And then there's some money allocated to a coach and to, um, uh, wax technicians they're all Norwegian. So, so like, like Norway is like dominate and as they should, they should get that money. I mean, they are better, but the fact of the matter is for long-term health, there has been, this is actually kind of funny because there's a lot of things like Bjerdvik, like the big boss of Norwegian cross-country skiing. Don't really agree with like a whole lot of the stuff I read is quotes in the, in the media. I have to say, I'm like a lot of things. I'm like, it's almost like you're a bit out of touch, but this, this, what he's saying here, he said, maybe it's time to like reevaluate the red group. So here, what are some things on the short term? This is going to help your long-term development, I stand, but like on the shorter term, instead of like the top 15, get all these things covered. Maybe it's time to go like the top two in each gender in distance and sprint of the nation's cup top 12 or something, get funding instead of like, just like the top 15, get the money. 
Do you know what I mean? Something like that, or like the top three men and the top three women of if each country in the top you can you can you can rank it out so that's one way but but the big thing is and and if you want to this i've been kind of been on this warpath for a while with ibu where ibu kicks our ass and where where f1 has solved this problem where like pro cycling has also solved this problem it's called profit sharing what is the thing that's valuable it's the product it's it's the production it's the tv rights it's the whole deal and the structure of this is that every single world cup venue has all the control and can sell that to whoever they want but then you have this this media conglomerate saying like well actually that sponsor is in conflict with one of our sponsors and it it creates this mess that the money just kind of like falls through the fingers and it doesn't go back to the teams the product which is the athletes so how would i do it find a way and there is like i know the fist the fist president is like going crazy to try and wrestle these contracts away from in front to try and make it more in the ibu model but profit sharing is you you've got to share the love of what the product is with all teams norway should get money of that too everybody should but it's um that that but that's only a short term solution that's not that's not solving the longer term solution but i don't think we're so far gone uh, with the long-term solution yet, Ostein, because like, it's not that long ago, dude, when I was second in the overall world cup, there was one Norwegian in the top 10. It was Petter. So we're not so far from like a complete apocalypse where it's just like Kenya and Ethiopia and every major marathon where like the top hundred are all from Kenya and Ethiopia. We're not there, but, but we do need to start doing something. And, and those are two short-term world cup solutions. But right. It, it, it doesn't solve the other solution. So it's really interesting perspective. You said, Pellegrino with these camps, super interesting. I, um, I agree with you, and uh, I think I think the the long term solution is. Um, I I have different solutions. I think one of them is to make sure that uh, all the best athletes are on every race. So you need to make a calendar, which is uh, doable. So you need to make perhaps fewer races, but cooler races that's one i think the second uh, which i think cross-country skiing has been really bad which is uh, biathlon ski jumping and alpine skiing has been really good and they make um, competitions and venues and days really fun for the spectators not only for the spectators spectators who are in love with the sports but also the people who just love the party or just want to buy something in the, some small shops just popping up everywhere. And I think we need to get more spectators down to the stadium because if you have more spectators down at the stadium, you will have more youngsters thinking, hmm, I would like to try that. And cross-country skiing has really one big advantage over all of the other winter sports. Cross-country skiing is the only uh, sport which the spectators after the race or uh, during the whole winter can do the same activity as the professional athletes. You, you, you can't, as a kid, just go and do ski jumping in Planitsa because it's, it's, it's impossible. Biathlon, the same. You need to have a gun. You need to have a shooting range. Cross-country skiing, you can do it right there. So I think we need to, to build some something more out of the competition day than just the competition because then you will get more people and more people will attend more uh, kids and then kids will hopefully 
lead to more skiers. And 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 third thing, I think it's it's time to to look at the today's model and maybe think about uh, not having the World Cup as it is. I, I leave uh, world uh, world champs and the Olympic Games out of this mix, but maybe it's time to do as uh, bike racing and and ski classics been doing it type of or kinda in in cross country. We need to make teams. We need to have one big German team. We need to have one big Italian team, one big Canadian team, one American team, one Norwegian team, one Swedish team, one Finnish team, where you have athletes from different nations with one uh, captain, maybe local, maybe foreign. And and these teams, they will compete uh, against each other in the, in, the, in the cup, call it whatever you want it, cup. And you have... Uh, the best athletes competing. Uh, so so when you have this result list, it doesn't say Norway, Norway, Norway. No, it's team something, team something else. And then maybe then you could spread uh, the competence. You could have more. Um, you can have an Italian team with the uh, team captain Pellegrino, but he has on his team, he has uh, Emil Iversen. He has uh, maybe Ingvil Fluxa-Ösberg. Maybe he has... Uh, uh, some Canadian youngster and then some uh, Italian youngsters as well. And then you could bring more uh, Italian fans into that team. So they could have someone to win every weekend. Would we, uh, would there be, would there be a draft at the beginning of every season? Um, if you want to, then yeah, for sure. I think, I think you need to, to look at some, I think, uh, I think you need to look at uh the sports who have and, and nations who have have this type of system and uh, uh, and the America has a. I think we could learn some from the American sports as well. Yeah, so draft is good. I think that I think I think the long term solution lies here actually because, as you can see, of now we have fewer and fewer Norwegian competing, but they are. Higher and higher up on the result list. Dunstan, you will never see Dunstan again this year in World Cup, but he finished ninth. And so you have so many good skiers from different nations who would love to be training with Dunstan, and they would be better. And then you could spread the competence. I think, I think we need to look at the model again. Uh, and ah. I, I know that the FIS uh, is. <laughs> It's not interested, but uh, I'm just saying this for the love of the sport. I really, really, really am passionate about cross-country skiing. No, I agree. And I think these are the conversations, like these are the conversations we need to have. It's great to have you on for this, Stein, and for the people that, that email us about this, like by us being like negative sometimes, especially about the men's distance racing. These are the discussions that need to happen. And they're happening, like you said, in Norway, in, in the mass media. But this is something that we should all, like anyone that's really passionate about cross-country skiing and and racing go out and ski and, and talk I, I love what you're saying like it's true like cross-country skiing it's kind of like the the beauty of of, of marathon majors right like you, you, you or you, you know like berlin marathon like yeah kipchoge wins in a world record time like 201 which is like insane but you can you can like there's a lottery to get into berlin because everyone wants to run in the same course and there's people plotting along at like four hours but they get to do the same race and like this is what is cool with cross-country skiing I also think like, like you said, just like echoing, I'm just echoing what you're saying, but like getting the people um, to the stadium, what I love is Holman Colon 
I'm a Canadian. It's always been like the biggest race for me. It's the most important World Cup by far. But it, it's amazing because Home and Colon has everything. Young people love Home and Colon because they go out into the woods, tens of thousands of them, get drunk off their ass, camp, act a fool, scream everyone's name as you race by. But then 2K later, there's families and they're cheering for you and they're having a fire and hot dogs. And then in the stadium, there's old people and families and everyone's having fun. And there's something for everybody. And this is an environment that we need to create in other venues. Yes, in Norway, it's a bit of a special culture. People like being out in the woods, blah, blah. But it is important. And the last thing I want to get your perspective to, Einstein, is like, think about how good F1 has done. And I'm, I, I, I hate motorsport. Like, I don't follow motorsport. But what they've done an amazing job of is like these behind the scenes. Like, they tried to do it like behind the fence kind of stuff with fists. And I mean, they, we were on the right path, but it was like way too heaters, way too shitty. And like, like follow a team throughout a season because like we get so many questions I stand about like the waxing, the grinding, the support staff, the coaches. What's it like to be a coach? What's it like to be a team doctor? What's it like to be a a, a, a therapist? Like you you could you could do what like F one's doing now, where you invest in a good production and you follow a team twelve months, and then that's the season. And then the next season you follow another team and you don't start with Norway. You start with like the U S and then the next year you go to Finland or like, and, and you create it really well. Like, it, it, and, and your idea of professionalizing of, of the sport, like, I mean, these are conversations that need to happen. We got to, we've got to try and come up with solutions and also just like everything's allowed, like to just throw it out there and then let's try and narrow it down. But the thing we can't do is give up hope. And that's what I, that's what worries me. That's why I'm a bit negative with men's distance skiing. I see young athletes kind of like losing faith. They can do it. And that freaks me out. Cause like I had a chip on my shoulder when I was young and Canada had no one good since like Pierre Harvey in like the late eighties. I didn't even know who Pierre Harvey was. And like people were telling me, it's like, oh yeah, you're going to go to the Olympics. And then after you go to the Olympics and get the shit kicked out of you, you're going to go to university. Right. And I'm like, fuck, no, I'm not like, I'm here. Like, I want it. I want this. Like, I love this skiing is, I, I just love it. I want to be the best I can be. And then I luckily, I, I got lucky. A lot, a lot of other guys that were older than me, they got to race with and, and train with and, and they wanted it too. And, and, and that's what, that's what helps the American young guys with world junior back-to-back -back world junior relay golds. They have this like swagger. They want it. And like, I'm freaked, man. I'm freaked that men's distance skiing is like, people have like lost swag the swagger and lost that like i can do it and that's what freaks me out so something has to happen and these are great conversations prove uh well uh, anyone any of the world cup skiers who are listening to devin i hope you can prove him wrong uh and uh and i also think if you have a better idea than what what you've heard on this podcast you should email us and then we can uh you know uh promote it on the on the next edition so that fist can you know, take it up at Congress. Yeah, because I think the athletes will follow the money, right? Of course, they love the sport, but they will also follow the money. And that's why I don't think the uh, a new arrangement about the fees and the red group will will make it because let's be honest, it's, it's not a big deal. It's just if you get your ticket paid or not. It's not like you get a real salary. I think if you switch the model, you will have uh, rich sponsors um, 
paying for each team. And those people paying for those teams, they will really like to get their money back by one, have good results, two, make some uh, attention around the product, around their own team, around their athletes. And so, like you said, uh, let's make a TV documentary. Uh, if you have a Formula One, you, you could see it in cycling. I've been following Movie Star in, in Netflix. I'm looking and I'm inside the race in the Movie Star. In the, in cross country skiing, we have nothing, and we have Carabo. Uh, yeah. He's 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 a phenomenal skier. Like I can't. T- it's impossible for me to tell how impressed I am. But to be honest. I think it's really. I think he is really boring when it comes to this. I think it's. I, I, we need something else. That's why we need Emil Ivish. No, we need Kala Halvarsson. We need something because Krabo is so professional. That's. I, I don't see his feelings. Yeah, and I. I, I guess I, I just would add. I mean, I, I ha- this has been helpful time for me to reflect because you know we did get some emails being like you know quipping so negative about the sport and 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 about Norwegian men dominating. But I, I mean, I think it's I think it's crucial because it's just it's not sustainable for six Norwegian dudes to be in the top six of like every men's distance race. Like it's people are not like maybe Oystein will listen to that on the radio while he's cross country skiing, but like. American fans and German fans, like they're going to watch biathlon instead. So it's like, this is, this should be, if this is not in like an all hands on deck, like six alarms going off about like what to do about this. And I don't really get the sense that they are. um, It's a pretty big problem. Let me ask you if there were a Canadian team and your Canadian team captain, what the name or was uh, Johannes Hösselkrabbe, and you had on the women's side in that team, your uh, captain was Jonas Sundling. Do you think the Canadians would follow the race? I think you'd need I think for you'd... Uh, Team Canada then, or no? I think you need uh, like a nexus with with Canada, right? Like, so you'd need Captain Devin Kershaw and or Captain Becky Scott or like Captain Graham Ritchie, oh. who's actually like racing. Because just like why why would any I mean it's not I'm, like I'm, I'm 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 looking at the soccer, there is no Norwegian soccer player on Liverpool, but I'm cheering for Liverpool. But that's because uh, like, know. it's still an accessible sport to Norwegians, unlike I think the way that cross country skiing, in spite of being something you can do, like it's still not an accessible sport to most of the world. So I think that like you need to have some kind of like nexus there go for it Devin. well i think i think i think where you could get this model to work actually a bit more is like i think they would follow i i think they would i think a canadian team would follow if you had like a sundling and claybo as captains and like built a team if you built a great story with an academy below it <laughs> full of young no 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 listen yeah, to me i, I know it sounds crazy it sounds crazy it sounds no, crazy no, but like perfect. like you have like you have you have young all the young athletes are all canadian it's a canadian yes. sponsor it's all it's all the money's coming from canada like why the fuck am i developing a bunch of norwegian youngsters i'm based in canada i'm a canadian team the academy is all canadians all of them and then when they do well on the opa cup or the noram or they go to the scandinavian cup or whatever for the development and they do well boom you get a chance right on the big team and, and you have this like synergy and 
And I know what we're talking about is a pipe dream with the funding model as it is now. I know, but this is what's kind of fun. Think outside the box. Think about some different ways to like get people excited. The other thing that would be cool is like, I'll, I'll just like, I know we're, we're way over time, but like, like me when I was young, like I thought Norwegians were like 10 feet tall and like just crushed. That's all they did. And I was like, at my first world championships, I got in my training bib. I never had a training bib before in 2003 get, to get onto the course. I walked by Bjorn Dolly, who is like my biggest hero ever. And my room was like plastered with like posters and like pictures I'd cut out and put on my wall. I asked Bjorn Dolly as a senior, I was a senior world cup athlete to sign. I had nothing else to sign. I just like, I'm just like, Oh my God, I've never met the keys. He's Michael Jordan to me. He signed my training bib giant. So for the entire world championships in Val de Fiem, I had a giant Bjorn Dolly signature <laughs> over my like training bib. This is what inspiration is though. It, it shows that I'm a dork, but like in this model that we're in this, we're just kind of like spitballing the Claybo, all those Academy kids think Claybo's like God's gift to cross country ski. Cause he is, I mean, like I said, there's no one that there's never been a cross country skier better technically and everything than, than Claybo tactically. He's the, he's the best that's ever lived, but, but you, you get this inspiration too. I was inspired by Norwegian athletes. Like it, it, you know, like I done saying with football, how many Norwegian football players are inspired by Van Dijk, like Virgil, like of Liverpool, like he's a beast. Everyone loves him. Like, but he's Dutch, <laughs> like, you know, so, but it, it's about trying out these models. The, the one pushback I have for Oystein is, is of course money because this idea is great, but it takes a ton of money and cycling teams struggle for funding ski classics teams. Like we're off the peak of that now, like money wise, like when you were in on it, like when you had like lease plan and United bakeries, athletes were making like salaries and like, like it was, it was, we're off that peak now. So like, how do we do this sustainably? Maybe this is a time for like Einstein Patterson part two, so we can all go to bed, but regardless, um, uh, great ideas. I think, I think at least the Academy thing, that's, that's, I think that's the, the main reason why this, I think this model is good because then you will have academies in, in Canada, in us, in, in Sweden, in Finland, in Germany, in Poland, in, Italy, in Switzerland, in every team. So you have youngsters meeting their heroes in all the nations. So you're bringing up new skiers and also they get the clothing. So when I'm riding my bike, I'm I'm looking like a professional because I buy the suit and the, the race suit and everything on the internet. So I'm I'm looking like that team. And we need to do the same in cross-country skiing. And we need to to make sure that every nation, every youngster in every nation has a team with people capable of winning races that they can relate to. And so I think you could bring up uh, more uh, more talents from different sports and, uh, or different nations in cross-country skiing. And of course it takes money, but then you need to make sure that your product is so damn good and i think really i'm not i'm not negative about cross-country skiing i i'm super positive but i think we need to solve one big uh issue right now and that is how can we make sure that we will stay uh, a sport uh in internationally 
for the future. And I think we need to, to do that by making the product so good that people will put money back into it. Why? Why does uh, why do we have problems with um, uh, making sponsors and everything? Because there are not so many people watching. And why are there not so many people watching? Because there are not so many people at the venues. And then uh, when there are not so many people at the venues, then you have less uh, skiers coming from the local area of the race into cross-country skiing because they are at the biathlon stadium or at the ski jumping hill or whatever. So I think you need to start by first make sure that your product is good, then academies, and then, of course, you need some really rich uncles. But if they can get... I think we need to start with someone who's really passionate about cross-country skiing, like uh, Röcke uh, in Norway, for example, Kjellinge Röcke, who has a, a, a private team right now, but I think you could find them. Well, I, I think we also, you know, in the five or 10 years, uh, specialist Dr. Kershaw, I assume he'll be making enough money to to sponsor at least one, if not, you know, a half dozen of these, these teams. I did actually, I, before we go, and I know we got to go because it's like uh, some obscene hour in Europe right now, but I did actually want to give a quick shout out to the guys that are holding it down on the American broadcast of cross-country skiing right now because um, they're doing a pretty good job. Uh, Ryan Cedarquist and Andrew Kastning. Andrew's an Anchorage guy, former coach of UAA. And then of course, Peter Graves. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, I think like they have a really fucking hard job because it's just, it's one dude. Like there's no one to talk to Like Andrew is literally like sitting in his basement, like at, not like at, at 3 a.m. calling these races, you know, on. You unplugged, you unplugged your mic, dude. <laughs> but I like the, I like the intensity. This is great. We'll let you plug it back in. You can finish your thought. It's like uh, Jesse. Can you hear me now? So, so there's still there's still some rough moments. Um, I was I was. Yeah, you're you're like the the diggings of podcasting. You're 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 like talking so much that you go go silent. Yeah, exactly. that's good. that's good. I froze my larynx. Um, no, there's still some there's still some rough moments, but I think like all in all, like it's it's well worth the money that they're charging if you can if you can like avoid throwing shit at the wall when they like cut away at the wrong time or like put the wrong name you know or tracking the wrong athlete but like that's not their fault that's just the the dumb international stream so ski and snowboard dot live is uh where you sign up for that i also just like the idea that there could be cross-country skiing on the radio and i could just like take out my like you know little radio put it in my earbuds and go skiing at kincaid park i'm just like god damn it that is I wish I lived in Norway sometimes. No, I, I, and if Ryan, you're for sure not listening, but if, if you were, I got your email, I, I, I'll get to it. I'm sorry. I'm like, literally like <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to not drown underwater. So I, I will get back to you. And I agree. It's um, I, this is a U.S. feed we're talking about and U.S. fans that um, they can sign up for this feed to, to try and watch the races with the English commentary. And I've also heard good things. So, so, continue the the good fight it's it's an uphill battle i know um but yeah no lots of yeah lots of great discussion i gotta i gotta thank you so much man it's crazy late you got young kids it's almost christmas we're dorking out over nordic skiing like this is bonkers and really i really, no, really, really, I really appreciate it. but i really I, appreciate you coming on man i love i really appreciate it and i think uh yeah it was awesome to break down the races with you it's super fun 
it's, don't hesitate calling me again. Like, like I told you, I'm really passionate about cross-country skiing and yeah, I've been married for, for quite a while. So I didn't, I didn't miss anything. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back. 